1: Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
2: Right. Oh, here we go again. Oh, I saw something about that. Do you want to swap? Could
0: you... There we go. It's not like there. <laughs> yeah, it seems to. Yeah, it's worked. Yeah. Good. Okay,
3: so um, we
2: will start with. Just one second. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Right.
4: Perfect. James from Sky Sports. Okay, Hi Roy. Hi. Bill Kemmerick sadly passed away earlier this week. You knew him well. How do you reflect on his life and his legacy?
2: I think he had a fantastic life. He was a fantastic man. Incredible success. Actor. Theatrical <laughs> entrepreneur, really. I mean, I've been to a lot of the plays that uh, Bill's put on and invited me to. Fantastic knowledge of music. Um, certainly one of the most interesting people I, I've even listen, listened to on Desert Island Discs as well. I thought he was outstanding. But most of all, Bill Kenwright was such a such a football fan and such an Everton fan. I thought it was quite incredible. And I've been very saddened, of course, you know, that fans when they turn on the club have also turned to some extent their anger on him these these past couple of seasons, but if there's one person who deserves nothing but praise from all people who have Everton in some sort of regard in their heart, then Bill Kenwright should have been right up there at the top because, you know, what that man did and would have done and wanted to do for Everton, there's no one ever going to replace him in that respect. Very sad for, for Jenny, sad for his family. Um, and really, other than to continue to say what high regard I have for him, I, I can't really add anything to that. Thanks,
4: Roy. In the last hour, we've learned that Sandra Tonali has received a 10-month ban for breaching betting rules. How do you feel about the relationship between football and gambling?
2: Yeah, I said uh, <coughs> a bit of a... Rant's probably too strong a word, but I had a voice, my, my opinions on, on gambling and its influence, not just on football, but in the world today and the, the damage it does, and this is just another example of it, really. Um, I was shocked by the situation with Ivan Tony when it came out, and he received the length of ban that he did. So now, I suppose, Tenali's ban being... Uh, Accused, if you like, or, or, or judged of committing the same crime, one is perhaps a bit less surprised. But ten months is a, an incredible time you know, to, to stop playing football for one year, basically, and then have to come back to it. For him, it's a it's a it's a tragedy, really, and for the club too. But that's where we are with with, with betting at the moment, and I suppose any players who feel that maybe I can still get away with doing a bit of betting while I'm a footballer. Maybe they should really start to think twice now after what we've seen happen to Ivan and and to Sandro.
4: From a Palace perspective, in terms of team use for tomorrow night, are you able to welcome any players back?
2: Um, Not particularly, I don't think. I mean, we don't have so many now really out of of the question. Of course, we still have Henderson, the goalkeeper, we still have and, and <coughs> Michael Alise, so there's three quite big names out. Add to that James Tompkins, uh, who's picked up a calf strain, but otherwise we have everybody back now and, and ready to play. So, suddenly the the situation with regard to selecting the, the 11 and selecting the bench has become quite a different proposition to what it was maybe a few weeks ago.
4: So, back in contention, how long will James be out for with the calf strain?
2: Well, he's missed a week so far, just over a week, so I, uh, most of these things take three weeks, so I would think at least another couple of weeks, but it, it's not a massive strain which is going to keep him out for long periods, as has happened to both, well, all three of those, as Lee and Henderson, were all very serious ones. There's some good news with Nathan Ferguson getting through 90 minutes on
4: Tuesday night, taking things slowly, but how close do you think he may be to making his first team return?
2: I was really pleased to see him play. I thought he played well. I've heard today, however, that he picked up an injury during the course of the game. I don't know the severity of that injury as yet. I can only hope it's not going to be another bad one for him. But it was good to see him back on on the field. And I was pleased to be at the game and and, and witness his his performance. But as I say, I I know he has picked up an injury. But I can't tell you how severe that is. The
4: Newcastle match just needs
2: to change. This game, huh? Well, I haven't said anything worth listening to anyway, so I? not <laughs> <laughs> from apart from with Bill Kemble, it's time for that. Toby, could you just push that door? Thanks. Thanks very
0: much. <laughs> right,
4: okay, thank you. Rob, well, the Newcastle game. Do, do you feel like when you look at what the team has built in recent weeks that that was just a one-off? <clears throat>
2: I was reading today what I said after the game. I think uh, Joanne logs what I've said after the game just in case I don't contradict myself too much or say things that I really shouldn't have said. And really I thought after the game, what I actually said sums up exactly what my feelings were today. We weren't helped by the fluky first goal. We weren't helped by the two goals basically on half time and in the first half injury time, uh, which made the second half almost impossible for us to get back into it, which one nil down at half-time might have given us a chance, but the bottom line is it was nothing like the performance that we needed from the team on that day and we're, everyone's in agreement with that, staff and players, we've gone through it pretty comprehensively this week and I I'm really am hoping that that's not something which is going to happen on a, on a regular basis. But unfortunately these days, if you're in the situation where we find ourselves, which is not amongst that lofty group of clubs at the very top of the league with lots and lots of money to spend, you're going to find yourself, I'm afraid, a few times up against a team which, when they're playing at their top level on the day, are going to ask a lot of questions of you. And uh, On Saturday we didn't answer those questions, but we're going to be in a similar situation tomorrow night a team that's in excellent form, playing excellent football, really many good players, um, they're going to ask a lot of questions as well. And I'm just hoping that you know the soul-searching that we've done this week as a group will help us confront Tottenham tomorrow uh, and be stronger than we were against Newcastle, who were very good. You know, you'll be careful, like everything else. You can't put it down simply to the fact that they were very good um, everything's a balance. We were nowhere near as good as we wanted to be, or think we can be, and they were good. So those two things combine, you get a you get a bad result. But um, we've not shied away from it. We've not tried to hide from it as a group. Um, and hopefully, some of the things we've been able to talk about this week and discuss will help us going forward when we play these top teams like like Newcastle and Tottenham Hotspur.
4: And just finally from me, Roy, how challenging is it from an attacking perspective missing such key, influential, Mm. creative players like Eberucci and
2: Michael? Well, they were so important towards the end of last season, there's no doubt about that. So it would be wrong to say we don't miss them. But I I must say, I think the players who've come in have have, have done a a good job, because before the game against Newcastle, our points tally for the number of games was, was more than satisfactory. But like all teams, you know, you don't really want to lose players of their ability, and especially their creative ability. So, as far as I'm concerned, they can't come back quick enough to help us go forward and to help us maybe be a bit more potent when we have the ball in the opposing team's half. Thank you. <clears throat> Roger? Hi
5: Roger. Going back to the Newcastle game, I was thinking reading that since you've been back at Palace, you haven't lost two in a row in the league. You've always managed to bounce back and get a result mm. the following week, whereas we've seen before before you came, the team sort of got stuck in a rut a little bit. Is, is there something you can employ, some sort of tactics you can see, to ensure that resilience and that bounce back from the team?
2: No, it's a good question, but you can't. I mean, really, it's a, <coughs> it's just a, a hazard that that hasn't happened. I mean, I'm pretty certain that... You know, even in that period, you're referring to the first 10 games last season. Had we met Liverpool one week and Man City the next week, we could more than easily have lost two games in a row. That didn't happen to us. So Picture the
0: scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app.
2: the possibility of two defeats in a row now, because you know we're coming off the back of not a very good performance and a very bad result, and Tottenham are top of the table and flying very, very high, and are playing extremely well. But i I'll, I'll be surprised if I don't come away from the game tomorrow, irrespective of the result, feeling much better about the team, the players and our performance than I did against Newcastle, because that, that has been quite rare. Uh, since Ray and I came back in, in March and joined up with Paddy McCarthy. It's been pretty rare that we've come away from a game disappointed, not only in the team, but disappointed in ourselves. That, you know, We weren't able to put the team in a better position to confront the match. So I, I, I don't expect that to happen. But like all teams that are probably facing Tottenham at the moment or teams that are facing Man City and Arsenal... Uh, in particular, Newcastle, those teams. There is an element of uh, apprehension. I think is the right word because you know that we are going to have to be really good tomorrow night if we're going to get anything from the game. Because I can only expect them to be as good as they've been in the last nine games and to play that quality of football. Um,
5: you're coming across against uh, coming up against a new, a new coach and Basta as well. <coughs> I'm sure you'll agree he's done a fantastic job so far. Have you been surprised by how quickly he's adapted? Obviously, he's coached all over the world, but he's come into the Premier League and he's hit the ground running.
2: No, I'm not surprised at all. I I knew Ange many, many years ago, uh, when I worked for that short period in uh, uh, Australia for the the City Group. I came across him and spent time with him there. I've always known about his quality as a coach. I've always been impressed with him as a person, as a leader. So it didn't surprise me at all that he started well. I think the recruitment's been good as well on this occasion. They're the right sort of players for him and the way he wants to play. So that's that's always good when you get that balance right. So he might have been unknown or a bit of a surprise to a lot of the people in the country. But he certainly was no surprise to me. And, you know, what he did at Celtic, which... Is a tough club to work at, was also incredibly impressive. So I shall enjoy meeting him tomorrow night and uh, I will tell him how well I think he, he's doing and congratulate him. But then hopefully we'll both try to beat each other because we have a lot of respect for each other.
5: I think coming I mean, to the Premier League, people would have <coughs> just wondered how he would adapt to the Premier League. But how much of the fact that he's coached, in so many different places yeah. and built up his, his own gotcha. ideas and, and philosophies in the game, help him just to come straight into the Premier League and, and yeah. not perhaps be intimidated by what he said. Well it
2: depends by what you mean by adaptation to the Premier League. I think that the word needing time to adapt to the Premier League is more relevant to players than coaches and managers. You know, I think sometimes they do, especially if they come from a different country, come from abroad, a broader, totally different culture, because of the intensity of the of the Premier League, you know, the the fierceness, the the lack of time and space that's there for you, and the physicality, that can be very different to a player from the league he's just come from. Coming from Celtic, playing in front of 70,000 people every week, and playing in the in the Champions League, coaching Australia, being at the very best club in Japan, I don't know. You need a lot of adaptation to come to the Premier League. I'm sorry.
5: But just in terms of, of his, in his own mind, his own ideas coming to coming to the Premier League. Well,
2: yeah, that's right. But I mean. One hopes, I guess, when you're the owner of a football club or a chairman and you decide, well, I'm going to ask this man to be the manager or the the, the person, really, who's going to decide how we're going to play, he's going to decide our philosophy, he's going to probably influence us on the type of players we get. You hope, don't you, really, that, that you've, you've chosen correctly. And, you know, if you've got any faith in your judgment, you won't worry about him adapting and you won't worry about him putting his ideas across, because you know you've signed a good man, you've signed a good coach, you've signed a good leader. And that seems to me, from the outside, I, I can't speak with Daniel Levy, I can't, speak, <coughs> I can't speak for anyone who's doing the recruitment at Tottenham Hospital, I have got no idea how their process was. But from the outside, as a fellow football manager stroke head coach, it just seems to me they've made a good choice because they've chosen a guy more than capable of doing the job and the right man for the job.
5: Both yourselves and Spurs over the, over the summer lost a player who was seen as a real talisman, a key, a key mm. player. Um, you obviously had it with, with Zaha. They, they lost Harry Kane. Is there a situation where losing that player can almost reinvigorate the rest of the squad for other players step up, um, the coach has to come up with new ideas of how, the, how they're going to play and actually can, as we've seen with mm. Tottenham, be, be a positive
2: yeah. I don't know with the respect I have for Harry Kane and and knowing the absolute quality and what that man's achieved in football. I'm not certain I can subscribe to a theory where we've lost a player of his quality but now we're better. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I mean, they're pretty good at the moment without him but I would probably say that they would have been even better still with him. Um, So I don't subscribe to that particularly. Um, I don't doubt for one minute that with the way he's introduced his philosophy, Ange, to the to the players and got them playing the way he thinks that they should play. I don't have any doubt how he came would have, A, embraced that, would have fitted in very, very well. So um, I think if I was to sort of continue the shower of praise, it's that it's not easy when you lose a player of that quality to get the others so much on the side as he's done, but once again we're just down to the quality of his coaching, the quality of his, his work, well done indeed. But uh, no, I'm not one of those who would say we're better now, Kane's gone. And people saying that don't realise how important people like Harry Kane are to you. You know, people who score those goals year after year and get then get sold for a hundred and whatever it was, million pounds. You don't you don't shrug your shoulders when they go, just as we didn't shrug our shoulders when Wilf Saha went. Right, for All right, thank you. Go. We're
3: going to go to Ian from <coughs> Talksport. Hi Roy, hi.
2: Good, thank you. Ian.
3: Um, can I start off by going back to the Samara Tamale? Um, the Premier League, a lot of clubs in the Premier League, a lot of clubs in football, this country world and worldwide, are sponsored by betting companies. Is there more a responsibility within football if players are addicted to gambling, or some are addicted to gambling, to maybe? Not have sponsors our
2: betting players. Well, it happens in the Muslim world, but I mean, we in the Western world haven't had that type of draconian ideas on what companies can sponsor football well, and what companies and what people can't sponsor football. And if I was involved in a betting company, I wouldn't necessarily agree that because we sponsor your club and give you lots of money, that means we're turning your players into gamblers. You know, the uh, the decision to gamble, the decision to do that, is a very much an individual decision. You could argue, and you could put, well, maybe with the result of, of clubs taking such an interest in football clubs, more education might be necessary, maybe they can step in and help us. I, I couldn't disagree with that. But for me... You know, what happened to Ivan, what's happened to Sandra, that unfortunately is their responsibility, and it's not the fact that maybe they played for a football team with a betting name or a betting company's name on their shirt. I I can't agree to that.
3: And do you think we'll see more problems with players getting into gambling, not only at the top level where they make a lot of money, but also in the fact that? When, when I was growing up, it was George Best and Jimmy Greaves. it was drinking that was a problem and then Paul Merced it was drugs
2: but now it seems to be gambling. I think it's always been there. I just think it's highlighted at the moment by these cases but I think I think uh, the problem in the world of football, just like in any other world for that matter, gambling's always been there, along with alcohol and uh, along with drugs, much less so smoking in, in recent years. But when I worked in Italy, players smoked and... If you think smoking is a problem, then that would have been a problem during my time in Italy. So we're really talking about a social habit that is very much a a part of the web of our our social structure. Uh, You want to stop it, it's not going to be easy. But the one thing I think, as it has been with drugs, players realise now that if I am a person who for some reason, wants to take drugs or a person who wants to gamble wrongly, if you like, on on my team, I run the risk of getting very, very severely punished. So I think now (laughs) no one can really say, well, I didn't know or I didn't understand or I didn't realise how important this is. We've made it clear to them how important it is. And that's, I think, all we can do. And I don't know the the full details of Ivan Tony's case. I don't... know the full details of Sandro Tonali's case. But I wouldn't be surprised if I did know the full details. I might have some sort of sympathy for them, but it doesn't help.
3: You know Ange from your time in Australia, then? Um, no, I knew him before that. Mm. What has he done that proven winners, Jose Mourinho
2: and Antonio Conte? Oh, oh, no. Don't go down that route. Don't go down that route, so route for me. Don't go down the comparison route. You're talking about, you're talking about three of the the very, you know, two of the very top managers in, in the game. You know, at the moment, I probably have to say that much as though I, I respect and like Andy and I have great respect for what he's done, I don't know that his C V matches Conte's and, and Mourinhos. So if he continues on this on this track that he's on there may be in a couple of years' time you'll be interviewing me, although I doubt it, but it could happen, <laughs> in a couple of years' time, and then you'll be asking me to to, to, to make that sort of comparison, I'll do it. But at the moment, I'm content to say that he's doing a very good job. I think he's a very good coach and manager. I am surprised that people are suggesting it's a surprise. I've made that very clear. But I'm not prepared to go into discussions that, you know, why didn't Mourinho do it, or why didn't... Perhaps they did. I mean, I don't know. You, you need to be to really know what the manager is doing, how well or how badly. You've got to be in the club at that time. And I've only ever watched Tottenham from the outside.
3: Maybe a better question, because
2: we like to always give everything a label, is how do you beat Angeball? Well, I don't know if it's Angeball. I mean it's a very it's a, a very technical way of playing and, and like Manchester City, it's a flooding of the midfield um, with players and of course the the, the confidence and the ability to run the risk that when you lose the ball, you're going to be short of players at the back because you've flooded them into the midfield. So, to, com- to prepare, if you like, to play against Tottenham at the moment, isn't so different to prepare to play against Arsenal and, and, and Man City, who have a similar style of play. The problem with it is, it's not that you don't know what's likely to be put in front of you, it's the quality they do it with and whether you've got the players within, within your team who can deal with what they've got in front of them. So that's that's how it is, but all you can do is make certain the players understand that this is the way that Tottenham play, this is what they're very good at, this is where they're going to cause us enormous problems, and to make certain that the players understand how we can best deal with that situation and make certain that they don't run all over us. In
3: your opinion, is James Madison signing of the season so far?
2: I don't really have a, 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 you know, I haven't thought about who the signing of the season is. I think he's a very good signing, and I think he's he certainly has made a, a very big difference. But you'd have to give me a list of seven or eight names and say go and pick one of these. You've just given me one name to pick, and I, I might feel guilty of missing out one of the other six.
3: Brilliant answer. Last two. First of all, two extra days you've got preparing from Spurs because they played Monday, you played Saturday. Mm. A benefit
2: or not? Yes. I mean, if you ask me would I rather have the two days extra or or, or not, I'd say yes, I'd rather have it. I don't think it's going to suddenly weaken Tottenham and we're going to see a a lesser Tottenham than I watched play against Fulham on Monday night. But, you know, days rest, an extra days rest, they they do help. So it would be unfair of me to say it makes no difference because it could, but I'm not really expecting it to. I'm expecting them to be fully recovered and to come out and play exactly the same way against us as they did against uh, Fulham and plenty of teams before that into the bargain.
3: And finally, it's rare really you ever come up against a manager you don't know. You've been in the game a fair while and you, you know literally everybody in, in the sport. And um, is it is it more fun when you come up against people you know well like Costa Coburn?
2: I wouldn't say it's more funny, and you know? I mean I think that it's you know often the people that you come across and. They're not friends because you don't spend enough time with them to really be able to call them friends, but there's a, a good level of acquaintanceship. And it's always nice to renew that acquaintanceship if you happen to like <coughs> the person and respect him and like him as a person too. It's always nice to meet them again. But unfortunately, our life, especially those of us who move around, it's very difficult to get that close sort of friendship amongst yourselves because we, we don't see each other that often these days. One... And two, the, the, the very good custom which, which I used to think was very good about England and I missed when I worked abroad, that is, after the game, meeting up with the other manager and his coaches and discussing the game or discussing football in general, that unfortunately has disappeared largely. Not least of all because of the mass media commitments and and the fact that the opposing team often has to get away from... Uh, the ground or you have to get away from the ground. So it's a pity because, you know, if you go back to the past, the, the boot room and Alex Ferguson's office, you know, they, they were great places to be. But it's harder to find those places these days. Thanks, Rob. Pleasure.
0: Thank you. No, no nothing, Rachel, nothing. OK, that's the end of the broadcast section.
2: The Talksport
1: Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year.